everyone. Welcome to semester two, episode six of Just Admit It, where former deans and directors of admission give expert insight into the complex college admissions landscape. I'm Nat. I'm an Ivy Wise counselor and former senior assistant director of admissions at NYU and NYU Abu Dhabi. And joining me today is my friend and colleague, Christine, who's a former assistant director of admissions at Yale and Georgetown. We've finally arrived at one of the most anticipated parts of the college admissions cycle, right? The release of regular decision notifications. First of all, for students who have received acceptances, congratulations, that's a big deal. For those of you who have received rejections, don't worry. You know, as long as you have applied to a balanced list of good fit colleges, you will end up somewhere where you will thrive. And for students who have been waitlisted, we know that this can be confusing and disappointing. So in this episode, Christine and I are going to discuss what the waitlist means, what your chances of getting admitted are, and what steps you should take to maximize your chances of enrolling at your best fit institution. We're going to be truly kind of transparent, right? Not not kind of transparent. We're going to be transparent um, and we're really going to break down um, the multiple reasons. We're, we're going to talk a lot about why why the wait list is part of the um, the enrollment management process. So Christine, let's let's start there. Let's start big picture and then we'll zoom in and we'll end up with what students should do should they be waitlisted, right? So can you talk about some of the, the different reasons why someone might be waitlisted? Yeah, that's a great um, starting point, Nat. Uh, thank you for the intro. I am excited for all the students. Um, I feel like this is the culmination of four years. They've worked so hard and we've come to this point. And um, waitlist can't be frustrating. I get that. You know, um, I've been waitlisted for different things and that very nature of waiting is tough. And so Nat and I, you know, um, we want to just kind of demystify some of the, the points and, you know, and put out some action items because you know in the waiting process it does feel like what do I do next? Um, but as a first point of just talking about what is a waitlist and how do students get to the waitlist? To me, the um, admissions process is always a little bit of a black box. Even though I've sat in admissions committees, I've made decisions. Nat has as well. Sometimes it's hard to know exactly why one student is waitlisted versus another. And first foremost, I would say that there are genuine waitlists. Um, these are students who are just amazing and wonderful. I remember as an admissions officer, I would get calls from parents and we would ask, you know, what went wrong? What could have we done better? And my answer genuinely was, you've done everything possible. You're an amazing student. You study hard. You made an impact in your school and your community. And uh, we just don't have enough spots this year to take every single great student that we want to take. I'm so sorry. This is so close. And, you know, from year to year, we could go to the wait list. And that's why we genuinely want to put you on the wait list. And that's absolutely true. Um, at the same time, you know, I think there are students and it's hard to know exactly, you know, um, how many of the students are, you know, so close to the process. And there are other reasons why students get on the wait list, too. And so when you uh, wait list hundreds or thousands of students, depending on the school, yeah. there are a variety of reasons. So another reason could be that, um what we may call a courtesy wait list. Um, and yeah. it's, you know, the student is good and qualified and student is really great, but you know, probably, you know, there's a lot of other factors that go into it, but the student may be a valedictorian, number one in the high school. And the student may have um, connections, perhaps mom or dad went to the school. Um, so what um, in kind of common parlance would be what we call legacy, so to speak. So the variety of reasons why a student may be waitlisted um, as well could be a courtesy or sometimes a political 
a soft landing, so to speak, type of wait list. Um, yeah. So that's, I mean, those are two um, big ones that come to mind. Students who are just really close yeah. and students um, for a variety of reason, you know, it's, they're not really students who we would say they're, you know, we could put in that reject pile for whatever reason. And, and right. waitlist is a soft landing. It's a way to say, hey, we want to acknowledge that you were a great student and we don't want to send that rejection message, you know, to the school, to That's the right. student family. Um, what are some other thoughts that you have Annette, or from your experience? Yeah. Well, I mean, I think that you you touched upon such an important part because if you are a valedictorian or if you are um, someone that was just a really you know, capable applicant or impressive applicant, the message that you send to the school and to that, that applicant's counselor, mm-hmm. you know, uh, you, you want to be very thoughtful in that. And you don't want to necessarily say like, hey, uh, we're denying this valedictorian or we're denying this incredible applicant um, because then that counselor, that school may never send that type of student again. And as we've seen in another year, that student could have could have made it very easily. Um, and especially we're, we're talking right now in 2021 where we're in a landmark year for a number of reasons, mostly because of the pandemic. So um, the courtesy waitlist, the, the political soft landing, as we've kind of called it, is it's a real thing. And and unfortunately, some of those students, as amazing as they are, they have really they they won't have a chance to come off the waitlist. Right. Um, now, the other the other reasons there are a few schools, it's a smaller number, but they use the wait list as part of their enrollment management model, mm-hmm. right, where the most common model in the top 50 schools is you enroll the class using early decision, right? It's generally speaking, it's about 46% of the class in the top fifth in the top 50 schools is is enrolled um, using early decision. That's that's going to shift after this year. But another way to actually inflate yield, because that early decision model is a way to actually inflate your yield. Right. So another way to inflate your yield is use the wait list, which means that you know that you're going to actually enroll less than the full part of the class. That, that wasn't very well stated. You're going to enroll basically, you're, you're going to enroll less than, I guess in a way it was what I meant to say, you're going to enroll less than the full class. And then for the last, let's say hundred spots, you're actually going to use the wait list. Um, and there's a, there's a reason for this because when you go to the wait list, you can offer so many different things to do. Like you waitlist a student and then you give them a 300 word essay to write in addition, right? And many of these students will not do that 300 word essay. A a smaller number will. And then that tells you, that signals to the office, okay, like this is someone that I can go to. We have a much higher likelihood of yielding this student. So uh, there are some very, very smart schools that will intentionally use their wait list because it actually inflates their yield, certainly compared to just accepting students in regular decision. All right. Am I missing any of the other kind of reasons why you would wait list or, or use? I mean, you, will you talk about um, summer melt? Yeah, that's a good one. Um, very good one. Yeah, I was just thinking that um, in terms of enrollment strategy, there's so many ways to think about that. And you definitely highlight a big one where 
they rather than using um, early decision or early action per se, they're you know wanting to use the wait list as a way to ensure yield. Um, summer mail is when so um, after students deposit in May and the summer happens and for a variety of reasons, a student may say to a college that they've deposited at, gee, I don't I can't come for whatever reason. And so when that happens, um, a college will lose a few a handful, could be a dozen, who knows how many students over the summer until August. And that's when they would go to their wait list um, and ask if the wait list student would want to come off the wait list. Um, colleges, I think, want to, one, you know, they just want to make sure the class is full, it's balanced, it's, you know, it's well-rounded, all of that. And two, I know now you've talked so much about um, the business um, aspect of university. And, and in a way, every student is uh, tuition um, or revenue. Um, maybe not all students are full paying student. A lot are um, students on financial aid, but regardless, it's it's some level of revenue stream and you want to maximize that. And so when you have summer melt and students say, I can't come anymore, you have an open spot and you want to fill up that spot. And so that's a perfectly good reason to waitlist student um, and see who stays on the waitlist. So a university could waitlist hundreds, thousands of students and Usually, I would say um, not every single school, but about half the waitlist students would decide to stay on the waitlist. And those who do not stay on the waitlist, that's really the end of the process for them. For those who do stay on the waitlist, a college can go to the university uh, or go to the student, I'm sorry, um, and say, would you like to come off our wait list? And especially, I think, in last year, um, given the pandemic and this year as well, um, we don't. The colleges don't know exactly what will happen in the fall. They don't know how many of their admitted students will come. Um, I've heard from admissions officers and you know uh, enrollment uh, vice presidents, and who will say if we take too many students and admit. Um, you know, from our mid student and everybody comes, we don't have enough beds and we don't have enough classes. That's going to be problematic. If we under enroll, you know, we don't in, in, enroll, uh, admit enough student, then we're losing revenue. We're losing, you know, that classroom size to, uh, you know, a maximum capacity. So waitlist is also that management enrollment strategy where they want to just hit the right number of students okay. to maximize classroom experience, residential experience, revenue experience for the university. Um, and that's the, that flexibility. Um, so it, it does many things, uh, waitlist, and um, and it's a very good tool, I think, for universities. Yeah. yeah, the balance that you talked about, it's not an easy one because, you know, from afar, I think it would seem like, oh, wouldn't it be so much better to over-enroll because you'd have more tuition revenue coming in. And while that is true, that's very short-sighted because you know data shows us that when you have a larger class, an over-enrolled class, it actually, you know, four years down the road, you, you generally will have a lower retention rate because mm -hmm. of the things that you talked about, right? You don't have the infrastructure, you, you know, you have more triples on campus. So mm -hmm. um, it while it seems like, oh, like everyone should try to over-enroll, uh, it that can actually backfire in the long mm -hmm. term, right? And and the student experience, which you know some colleges put as the most important thing, that that gets compromised when you have more right. students. Then you can really then you have the infrastructure to you know to to support. Now, one of the things that we're kind of 
almost hitting upon it. And it sounds like this, and please correct me if I'm wrong, but it sounds like there's just not one, one reason or one kind of particular model that each college uses. Like, it sounds like that it's kind of, and I've heard you say it, like when it comes to, you know, enrollment, there's just so many different, or when it comes directly to the wait list, there's so many different things that colleges can do. Is that, is that what we're, we're hearing? Is that what we're saying? Yeah. And that's why, you know, another question that we often get from students and parents when they're waitlisted is, is it ranked? You know, is there a number one student who um, is going to get taken off the waitlist? And generally, no. And, you know, when the student um, gets information about the waitlist and you go to the FAQ section, uh, and they'll tell you it's not ranked. And that's been our experience by and large. Um, the universities don't have a ranked list. Um, so, you know, I guess the, um, you know, they're just all these behind the scene, you know, the, all the factors. So it's, it's not that, you know, there's one through, you know, 500 and they'll start to take number one off, number two off. And so each school has its own, I think, unique way to treat the wait list um, and go to the wait list and sort through the wait list. Um, so it's not ranked. And there are a lot of behind the scene, um, uh, factors and constituents um, who are involved, you know, from uh, perhaps higher up in the university, from the president's office to the alumni office, development office. Um, sometimes some university may lean a little bit even to the high school counselor to get a sense mm-hmm. of a waitlist student and how interested they are um, in coming to that school. Um, so there are a lot of different, I think, factors that go behind the wait list and how students could be considered. Um, and that is the truth. You know, if we said anything otherwise, um, we're probably not, you know, being true to the, the process itself. And we do want to be transparent. And as frustrating as that may sound, it's not ranked. How do I get off the wait list? Mm-hmm. You know, it does seem like the student um, may feel like I'm not in control of the process. I already feel like I'm not in control because, you know, I submitted my application and they make evaluations based on whatever rubric and criteria that they're looking at. And now I'm on the wait list and it's not ranked. I don't even know where I am. What should I do? So um, what are your thoughts then, Nat, for students who are, you know, the kind of the next step, right? Yeah. It's not ranked. There are a lot of factors going into it. I don't even yeah. know if I'm the genuine wait list that I was really close, you know, that MIDI, the committee just couldn't take me or if I'm one of the, hey, we just don't, we just can't say no. So yeah. we just give you the list. So how should students think about, you know, that position if they just receive the notification or they will receive the notification for a wait list? Yeah. I mean, I, I think that's a, a really good way to think about it because w- one thing that we, we can't forget about is that yes you have the wait list and and you have to think about all right do I want to stay on this wait list but you should also shift and focus on some of the positive news that you have received right so it's not just about okay yes let's pursue the wait list and we'll talk about kind of the the logistics and the the mechanics of that in a little bit but it, it should also be and this is where it is a little bit difficult because it's hard to wrap your mind around where you want to go. And oftentimes when you don't get in somewhere, it becomes more desirable, right? And that's human nature. Um, so there has to be some focus on, okay, like what are what are my options right now? And what, you know, what are my best options? And, and start mm-hmm. really trying to 
you know, embrace some of the, the positive news that you've gotten. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, for some of our listeners, it might be, you know, schools that you weren't as enthusiastic about and you it might be time to kind of start to become more enthusiastic yeah. about that school. But for others who've done, you know, uh, a more balanced college application list, maybe they do have some places where they're like, yes, this would be awesome, mm-hmm. but I'm still going to pursue the wait list. Right. And if I get off, right. you know, then I'm, you know, then, then I'll see what, what will happen. Uh, um, I think one of the things that I saw last year as the pandemic was kind of just in the early stages, um, and we were hoping, right, at that point, we were hoping that the pandemic was kind of in the late stages, but we didn't know that, you know, here we are over a year after, and, you know, we're, we're still kind of hoping that, that it'll end soon. But what I was seeing was that uh, the vast majority of schools were very need mm-hmm. sensitive when they used the wait list. Yeah. So they were only going for students that did not need financial aid because there was, they knew they, they being colleges knew that there would be a tuition revenue loss. Um, mm-hmm. And they, they predicted that. And, uh, and they knew that they could really only afford to get students that could pay full dollar. And so that's not the case everywhere, right? There are going to be some schools that are endowed um, where their endowment will be able to support mm-hmm. students off the wait list. But generally speaking, you know, our, our higher education infrastructure is, is one where the vast majority of schools, uh, the vast majority of schools will not be in a position, you know, to offer financial aid, um, mm-hmm to a waitlist, uh, you know, uh, applicant. Yeah. So uh, go ahead, go ahead. Oh, no, no, no. I was, I was just going to say your point about, um, don't see the waitlist as plan A. Um, mm-hmm. you know, the plan A is to see all the options that you have before you, um, and make the best decision that you can and definitely deposit somewhere. Um, make sure that college is going to happen. It's going to be a great option for mm-hmm. students. Um, and then kind of pivot to the waitlist that you've decided to stay on where you can't, um, first of all, just, you know, kind of follow instruction, uh, and say, I want to stay on the waitlist and then look through either in the waitlist letter or in the applicant portal, specific instructions about what to do next. Um, oftentimes universities will have an FAQ, um, page on their website for students who've been waitlisted. So take a look if they want additional information that you can offer. Um, if you have any significant updates, um, that, you know, maybe you won a local competition, um, you, uh, got an honor and award from, you know, you're the, you got a history department award from your school. Um, now you, you know, whatever it may be that it's important um, to, to capture that interest in perhaps a lot of continued interest and reiterate why you want to go to that school. And I think about a lot of students who, especially in regular decision, um, they may have hit that application fatigue point in December and January, and they kind of just put together an application and submitted. Um, And so this is another opportunity for students to say, um, if I feel like I could say more to the school, how I'm genuinely interested in you. I want to come to your school and I want to study engineering. I want to study with this professor. I want to come to the school and I want to join the band and I want to play the tuba or the you know percussion instrument really to kind of show that 
I've done the research and I'm really, really interested. So um, I don't want students to feel like even though the situation may not be totally within their hands, but there are still things that they may be able to do to um, further their candidacy. Mm-hmm. Um, they could be self-advocates um, in a polite and respectful way, right? So okay. because... The co- again, you know, colleges are making that decision and you want to be an appealing candidate, uh, someone, again, they can envision being on their campus. So, um, yeah, just I was just kind of agreeing that thought that uh, don't, you know, don't um, feel like this is a, the wait list of plan A. I have to you know, right. plan my life. around. No, it's kind of plan B. If it happens, great. But let's move on and attend all the accepted student um, activities that um the college where you've been accepted to will have um, this year. They won't probably have any in-person activities, but they will have uh, plenty. I'm sure virtual events, mm-hmm. meeting with other students, current students, meeting with professor. Definitely take advantage of those opportunities and to make a wise decision amongst um, all the acceptance that you have received in front of you. Yeah, I think what you're saying is. It, you know, it bears worth repeating again because it is so important that this is what makes the waitlist so difficult um, in navigating this is that you you do have to, um, you need to embrace where you have gotten in at the same time as you're working the waitlist. You don't want to work your waitlist opportunity so much that you then compromise the ability to kind of get, you know, enthusiastic about where you've been let in, right? And so... Mm-hmm. This, this is important enough to say again, um, but we also want to talk about, um, you know, and, and I remember this as an admissions officer and, and traveling to, to Brooklyn and New York City right by the May 1st deadline, which is that's the mm-hmm. deadline. Um, it's what we call the, the, you know, the common candidate reply deadline. And this year it's been a little bit pushed back um, because of the volume. Um, and I think that some of the schools are, are pushing it back to May 3rd. But, you know, there was a, a string of fairs in Brooklyn and New York City that I used to do as an admissions officer. And that was you would do the fair and then you would call into your office and you'd say, like, how are we looking? How, like, what, what are our numbers? What are our enrollment numbers? Are we going to yeah. use the wait list? Right. Yeah. And then you'd be I would be talking with my colleagues who worked for other schools because I knew that if so and so went to the wait list, we would go to the wait list. Right. Can you talk more about the, the trickle down effect of the waitlist? Yeah, <laughs> that's a that's definitely a ripple effect, domino effect. Yeah, there's a little bit of um, yeah, ripple effect. So one university, and you know, I'll pick on Harvard and just say yeah. like, hey, if Harvard ever moves to the waitlist, um, and someone who's waitlisted Harvard and they're taken off the waitlist, and that student has already deposited somewhere else. That student will say yes to Harvard and has to say no to the other university where they've deposited. Now, that university where the student originally deposited will have an extra spot and they will go to their wait list and so on and so on and so on. Right. So the wait list um, could happen as early as May. Um, last year, I think anecdotally, we heard um, movements quite early. Um, yeah, you know, it was early last the- year. Absolutely. Yeah. And it will happen all the way kind of throughout the summer. So yeah. um, and that's the timeline. It could be, again, you know, um, I, it's that really that balanced mindset. Focus on the school options that you had uh, in front of you. But the wait list could all the way go all the way through the summer. Um, an, an interesting uh, note, just statistically speaking, um, the variability in wait list um, and it's public data. You know, the common data set, if you want to dig really deep, you can probably find some of the wait list. Some years, a university can literally admit zero students from the waitlist, and it doesn't have to be Harvard. It could be just um, any 
number of really great universities out there. Um, they just didn't take anyone because everyone said yes. They are at full capacity. Other years, you could have a wait list of hundreds. Um, a university may take hundreds of students off their wait list. And it could be Harvard doing that. You know, I don't know. It just really depends on the year. It's right. not even really tied to the selectivity of the university. Um, so it's just hang in there, um, you know, have a good mindset, um, have a good perspective, uh, choose your options well, and do your best with the wait list that you want to stay on. And if you genuinely think, gosh, I don't think, even if they took me off the wait list, you know, I don't want to go then say no to the wait list. Right. It's okay to do that as well. Yeah, and I want to clarify one of the things that we touched upon earlier, mm-hmm. which is summer melt. And mm-hmm. I know, you know, the, the small liberal arts college that I worked for, Skidmore, who is an absolute leader in in kind of enrollment management and in, in teaching me the craft. I mean, that is where I learned, you know, 99% of, of everything that I know. Um, it, it, Skidmore and other small liberal arts schools and other public and private universities, some of those schools actually, they they actually include summer melt into their enrollment model, right? So they're not, mm-hmm. they're not looking to take care of summer melt with their wait list, but they're actually mm-hmm. going to over enroll knowing mm-hmm. that they might lose up to, you know, 10%, 8% mm-hmm. of their, of their student body for various mm-hmm. reasons. You know, there, there's mm-hmm. just, when you look at, okay, you've enrolled a class of 600 and you're going to lose like 50 in the summer or maybe it's not going to be that high, but it, for various reasons, maybe someone in their family gets sick or they decide they're going to take a gap year or they decide, you right. know, there's, there's so many reasons. But that oftentimes um, and not every time is already thought of in terms of the, the students that have been accepted. And that's not, you know all of the time or most of the time taken care of by by use of the wait list, right? So this, again, kind of goes back to every university has a different use of the wait list and, and it depends on their enrollment strategy. Um, there's something that we want to talk about that is, you know, it's, it's probably, it's taboo in that um, I think it was probably happening a lot more last year too. Um, and it's something that we want to kind of, you know, we want to open up the can of worms, which is, okay, like I have to kind of embrace the school that I've gotten into. And then let's say I'm working this wait list. Mm -hmm. And so then I get off the wait list. So I I now have a deposit at one school and then I'm going to deposit at the school that I've now been taken off the wait list. You know, I've heard of students that have then kept both deposits and then they wait to see, okay, is one of them going to be virtual and one of them going to be in, Mm -hmm. you know, person, right? But, and and so that is a, that's an outlier of a year. But Mm -hmm. generally speaking, Christine, do you want to kind of talk about double depositing and and kind of the, you, you know, the, yeah, yeah. That whole, the ugliness of that. <laughs> I, I, from the student's perspective, I, I get at the uncertainty of it. And sometimes it's really tough to make those decisions. Like, how do I know? I mean, I've done my research. I really have, but mm-hmm. how do I know what's a better fit? And I think the pandemic has made a lot of things uncertain. You know, what will fall look like? Um, we um, are, you know, um, trying to do our best with the vaccination process. But the reality is, you know, as of now, um, going into April, we don't exactly know what the fault may look like. Um, so mm-hmm. there is some uncertainty. The double depositing is, I mean, to me, it's still a big no-no um, because you're mm-hmm. holding up a spot. I always yeah. want a student to say, you know, think kindly and considerately of your peers. Um, it may be someone at your school, literally, who's also waitlisted mm-hmm. and is hoping to move off the waitlist. It could be your peer, um, 
yes, they may be nameless um, somewhere across the U.S. or internationally, but it's your cohort, you know, people in your generation, and you want to be kind to them, just as you want someone else not to be double depositing and holding a spot that you could have taken. You shouldn't be doing that to another student, potentially. Um, So make the wisest choices that you can, given... um, all the uncertainty and challenges, and we get that. So we, it's tough. This year's tough. Last year was tough. Do the best you can. Do the research. Talk to current students. Talk to professor. And another thing to keep in mind, especially in the pandemic situation, is we will get over it. Uh, we will go back into um, in-person school. So it's mm-hmm. a semester. It's a year at most. It's not all of your college experience. So do the best that you can to make that informed decision about where you can see yourself for the next four years. Choose one school and stick with it. Yeah, and you know, along the lines of the double deposit and the ugliness of that, I, I want you know any of the colleges that are listening in, and, mm-hmm. and it doesn't have to be a college. As a student, please know that you have a leadership role in being mm-hmm. able to make the right decision. But mm-hmm. I, I, you know, I'm so lucky to work for an incredible mentor in Sean Abbott, you know, who's worked at an amazing, amazing institutions. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was, you know, kind of my boss at NYU. And when NYU went to the wait list mm-hmm. and drew a student, you know, from the wait list, Sean actually required that student to not only email the college that they were holding a spot at, the, 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 the college that they had deposited at, but he had them actually copy him in mm-hmm. on the email so that he could ensure that that student did not double deposit. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is, I, I wish more and more colleges, I wish every college took right. Sean's lead in that because we are, you know, this is this is a chance to be a leader, right? And, and mm-hmm. as an admissions officer, I just loved, I loved when kids did that on their own and they didn't yeah. have to be prompted to do that. And they'd mm-hmm. say like, oh, I was holding a spot at so-and-so and I'm gonna email them right now. And it's like, wow, this is such a good decision to take this kid off mm-hmm. the wait list. because like, they're gonna make a difference on our community, yeah. in our community, right? So um, there is so much to talk about um, in terms of the wait list, but let's, you know, one of the things that we did didn't really kind of touch upon is um, like how much do you send? Like you you touched upon it a little, but we didn't go into like. But what's the most important thing mechanically when you're trying to get off the wait list? Um, mechanically, one is just saying um, yes. I want to stay on the wait list. I know it sounds yeah. intuitive, but sometimes um, it, that could be um, accidentally or easily overlooked. So make sure you are on the wait list. Um, yeah. I think there is a little bit of a timing um, component because we we actually don't know exactly when the wait list will start to move at a particular university. So you want to be sure that you stay on the wait list. I mean, technically, you have some time to decide, but if you know you want to stay on the wait list say yes. Um, And then go through, read the instruction carefully. I think colleges really appreciate students who stick to their instruction. There are some universities that will say, please do not, do not, do not send send us anything else. Yeah. We we got everything we need to make an informed decision. Don't send an essay. Don't send additional recommendations. Please do not send, you know, your music portfolio, a writing sample, mm-hmm. we we know we have enough information. If that's the case, trust the process and really abide by that. Other that's universities right. will give some indication. If you have any updates, we would love to hear mm-hmm. from you. In that case, do take the time 
first look through the portal if there's a spot to send in additional information or upload a letter or send in updates. So always use what the university has offered to you. If you don't have that available to you, it just seems like, okay, there's no space to send in updates. I think it's okay to draft a letter, a genuine letter to say, here are some great updates that um, have happened to me since I submitted my application January. Now I'm elected, you know, um, uh, senior head. I have been um, awarded the history department award. I have won this local science fair competition and I remain interested in your school. Here are X, Y, and Z reason. If um, you are able to locate the name, the admission staff of your regional admissions officer. So usually you go to the website of the admissions office and they have staff directory. So that person could be the point person for wherever you may be. Uh, could be where you, if you're from New York or California or from Dubai or Singapore, look for that regional admissions officer. And if there is an email address, I think it's fair game to send a letter directly to your regional mm -hmm. admissions officer indicating your interest, they're probably um, going to take care of, you know, kind of all the files in their region. Um, if you can't find that information, you can call the admissions office, email them to say, I have an update letter. What would it be the best method to send that uh, letter to you? You can also speak with your school counselor to receive information. Oftentimes, school counselors may um, be speaking with admissions officers or they know information from um, the school visits when admissions officers come in the fall. So going to your school counselor could be a really good step as well. And then kind of think through if there are additional recommendation, you know, one, that really excellent one. Um, generally, the perspective from the admission side is if it's that important for recommendation, why didn't the students send it in the fall along with their regular decision application? But things happen. You could have done something really incredible. And there is that new information from a recommender, uh, maybe from a supervisor. You did a really good job at your work um, and that person can vouch for you. So be, um, I think, be thoughtful. I think that's a really key word. You don't want to send in 15 recommendations. You know, just take a step back. If you were an admissions officer and a student sent in 15 kind of lukewarm, not very good and, you know, recommendation, what does that say about a student? Um, I mean, we hear like all sorts of anecdotes and stories, yeah, right? Yeah. People who send in like we've lived with them, yeah, right, like cupcakes. Students who camp out in front of the missions office. Should I be doing those things? Um, probably, you know. I, I think as much as you know, uh, and we've have in the past like delicious cupcakes and muffins. We really appreciate these gestures, but the cupcakes are not going to move a student off the waitlist as much yeah. as we appreciate that. Um, or the you know student who camp out. Please don't do that. You know. In a pandemic year, it's not safe. And it, again, yeah. it's don't go to the extreme. Um, should I visit the campus? Should I, you know, show up? Um, it, especially in a pandemic year, um, you know, do what you can within your context, but don't overdo it. So um, we we appreciate students wanting to demonstrate their interests. So do it in a thoughtful, genuine way. It will come across as such, but don't feel like you need to drive across a country make an appeal in person or send in chocolates, you know, for your admissions officer or bake, you know, cookies or whatever. Um, it, it, you know, it's thoughtful, like you want to do something like that. But at the end mm -hmm. of the day, like I said, it's probably not going to move the needle. That's right. You want to be memorable for the right reasons and not for the, the wrong reasons. Right. So you're, you're right. And again, I think the most important thing is make sure to follow the directions in mm -hmm. your waitlist letter because some schools, especially a year like this year where there's so much 
such an influx in applications, some schools don't want to read or don't have the bandwidth to read more documents and 15 letters of recommendation. And they don't, they don't want that. Some schools will be very simple and they'll just say, fill out this form and Mm -hmm. let us know. Right. And a lot of times it's through the portal. It might not be like uh, something that you email. It'll be right through that portal Mm -hmm. just to make it easier. I I like the move to this, you know, everything is, is in the portal. It's, it's really quite nice. You know, before we take off, uh, unless do you, unless you have anything else that you want to talk about, Christine, I wanted to at least, you know, remind the students that it is, uh, it's an exciting time for many. It's um, melancholy for some that are kind of balancing the the wait list, but be really thoughtful about um, your peers, right? Some people are going to receive really happy news and others are going to receive some disappointing news. Be really thoughtful about how you um, react at school, in person, with your friends, but also think about thanking your teachers. Um, this has been a particularly particularly uh, difficult year for all your teachers, your counselors, so especially the ones that wrote on your behalf. That was not easy this year, but you know, take some time to let them to, to go back and close the loop and say like, thank you so much again for writing on my, be- you know, writing on my behalf. And here's where I'm deciding to go. That can go a long way with your teachers, right? So um, I'll let you take us out, Christine. Oh, thank you so much, Nad. Always a pleasure to speak with you. It feels like a conversation and I know we'll have other um, episodes coming up. So thanks again. And thank you to all our listeners for tuning in to Just Admitted. Catch up on all of our previous episodes by visiting the Just Admitted podcast page and be sure to bookmark Ivy Wise uh, Knowledge Base to stay up to date on all the latest higher ed news and advice. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok for additional college prep resources and stay tuned for our next episode in which we will review the atypical 2020 and 21 college admission cycle. Thanks again.